Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Well, as you uh, open your Bibles to Luke 19, we're going to continue on in our series called In His Steps. And in case you missed last week, maybe you were asleep last week at this time in the message, I don't know. Um, But I'll just let you know the reason why we're doing it is because in this day and age... Um, many people have misconceptions about Jesus, and, and maybe they're confused by his teachings. And yet I, I believe that if we get back to the Word of God and we press into the Word of God and we look at what Jesus did specifically in his last, the last week of his earthly life, I believe if we were to follow in his steps, that we would see something very significant in the way that he lived and that we would see something very significant in the things that he did and in the things that he said. So we're just taking these events, uh, just one by one, message by message, not going to be able to cover every single thing that he did over that week, but yet I want to take some things and draw out the truths that we can apply to our life. Now before we even jump into the Word, I have to let you know something. This text is troubling for a lot of people, and there's a a, a lot of pastors, preachers, teachers, whatever, who neglect this text on purpose because some parts of this are unsettling. Because we have been programmed, if you've been in church for, for decades, and, and maybe you, maybe this is uh, something that, that you've never connected with, um, but i just let you know, a lot of Christians, we, we kind of struggle with this because it's, this teaching is neglected because what we see about Jesus in this text is something that, that really makes us restless. Because we want to accept Jesus and we, we, we need his love and we desire his grace and his mercy. But what we see here and when, what he does is something that he wants to do in our lives. And if I'm honest, the very thing that he does in the temple on this day is something that each of us have to do in our lives. But the reason why it's troubling is because this is a side of Jesus that we don't often see. And in this, this side of Jesus is, is neglected in so many ways. We, we, we desire His love and His mercy and His grace, and we teach it, and we, we need it, we desire it, we crave it. But yet we also have to know that He is a God who judges sin. He is a God who does not condone sin. He's a God who, who loves us enough to point out the flaws in our life and to draw those things out so that we can be cleansed of all of that unrighteousness. So as we jump into this, I, I want to just share a story um, about this, uh, not specifically about this, but about this idea. Several years ago, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but I haven't always been a preacher. My dad was not a preacher. My grandpa was not a preacher. Um, I'm pretty much the first in my family line, but we're all going to be preachers from here on out, right, son? Um, <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> it, for years, I, I was in the aviation industry. And all through my time in, in aviation, early on, um, well, all through my time, really, but, but early on, I started to see that there was this inner network about the service center that I worked at. And uh, there was, it was just an interesting thing because I would go in there to work, and I, at this time, I was a Christian. I was trying to work to the glory of God, just like uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us to do whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So I would try and go out, and I would try and give God my very best. I wasn't a great technician, uh, but I tried. And I would go out, and I would go into this setting, but it seemed like, and maybe this is your reality too, I would go in and try and work as hard as I could to try and, and maybe get promotions. There's nothing wrong with that, with, with striving and reaching. And I think if you, if you work hard, you should, be, uh, you, you should 
you know, that you should seek to work hard, but then also you should be given a reward for that effort. That's kind of the way it works. I, I think um, that that's okay. But as I was at the service center and I, w- I would work and I would try really, really hard, and yet it would seem like no matter how hard I tried, that no one noticed. Anyone ever done that before at work? It's like you work all the overtime in the world. You do everything you can do. You try and get things done on time, timely matter, organize all these things, and all of a sudden it seems like nobody notices. Well, when I was at the service center, I, I, I was working hard, and all of a sudden uh, you know, I, they sent out this request. They said, hey, we're working on Saturday from 6 to 12. You know, I was never a huge fan of overtime. Um, I figured that I, if I put in 40 or 45 quality hours during the week, that my weekends are kind of to me. That's the way it was. And, and I, gave, I gave them my best when I was there, but I didn't think that I needed to give them everything that I had because I had uh, obligations at home. So I, I received this thing, and hey, we're doing overtime, and it's not mandatory, and it's 6 to 12 on Saturday. And I thought, good night, I don't want to do this, but I'm like, you know, I'm working hard, but maybe I'll, I just want to go in and show that I'm a team player. But all of a sudden, I would go in, and on these, on these Saturdays, I just started to notice there was a couple Saturdays in a row that I worked, that I went in there, it was like there was no work to do. And it was kind of like the good old boy network. It's like when you come in together at 6, there would be a couple things to do, but really nothing significant worth your time there. And I started to realize there's something going on here on this whole, this whole Saturday thing. There's this whole little bit of political machine that's working, and if you're invited to work on Saturday, that means that was their way of, of letting you in. So no matter, how, no matter how hard I worked Monday through Friday, it really didn't matter. They were only going to notice if I was there on Saturday. But I didn't find satisfaction in that because I would go in and I would work, but there wouldn't be that much work to do. And I realized there was just a whole lot of people loafing, staying around their toolboxes. And I'm thinking, man, if there's no work to do, I, I, you know, the money's good, but the, the money's not worth the time that I would be spending at home doing the things that I wanted to do, the things that I needed to do. So, as a matter of fact, what I started to do was they started giving optional, uh, you know, set out this, they'd come and ask me, hey, you want to work overtime on Saturday? I'm like, no, I'm good. And I realized that there was this, this political machine that was working on Saturday, and that's where all the movers and shakers were. That's where all the decisions that were made. That's when everybody, if you wanted a promotion, you had to be there on Saturday. See, I believe many of us are in the same situation. It's like Monday through Friday, we go through our life. It seems like you work as hard as you possibly can, and yet nobody notices. And we live in a corrupt world where there's this political machine that's all around us, and yet it seems like the harder I work, the less people notice. And yet there's, there's a level of corruption that we see not only in our workplaces, if we're honest, there's corruption in our lives. There's corruption in our homes. There's manipulation and corruption in our relationships with other people. There's things that we tell our spouse just because we want them to do something. There's times where, where maybe, and, and you know, I'm not saying any of us would do this, but this certainly happens, where we're, we would lie about where we're going and, and what we're going to do because we just want to kind of be hands-off and be able to do whatever it is that we want to do, and we want to avoid our responsibility at home, and that's manipulation. I, I've even heard of, of certain men specifically, and, and there's one man that I, I have this image in my head that, he, that I know men are prone to this, he, he, was, he was an alcoholic, but what he would do is because he just wanted to manipulate his family and he didn't want to engage with his family, 
he would, he would shamefully, he would go in and he would just cause a fight with his wife and he would just wreak havoc with his kids so he could go in the back room and so he could just drink beer and nobody would go in there and mess with him. Just such a corrupt lifestyle. But you know, many of us, and maybe that's not your story, but, but there are things about you and I hope that you're challenged by this message. Because the very thing that Jesus does when he steps up to the religious authority and the, the very thing that he challenges in the temple on this day is something that we need to challenge in our lives. That we need to turn over the stones in our lives and we need to turn over everything to say, am I truly following Jesus in his steps? Do I have manipulation in my life? Am I part of the, of the political and, the, and just the manipulation in my workplace? Are you willing to stand up for what's right? Or do you just go along and do what everybody else does? Jesus tells us in verse 45 of Luke 19. This is a continuation from last week's text. I'll jump back one verse. Uh, in verse 44, it says, They will dash you to the ground, and you and your children within your walls... They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Continuing that idea into this one. So Jesus goes to, uh, in last week's message, he, he goes before and we know he's going through a very troubling time. We know that he loves people. He sheds tears over the city of Jerusalem. He loves and he cares about the affairs of his people. And we see the humanity of Jesus so perfectly portrayed. And, and Jesus now coming into the city, he's coming off the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley and he's coming into the city of Jerusalem and look where he goes. Look where he goes in verse 45. It says, then he entered the temple area. So the very thing that Jesus prophesied about two verses ago is the very area that he goes. Remember I told you last week, he prophesied that, in, that what would happen in 70 AD, that the city would fall. And that many, 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 many people would die. As a matter of fact, in, in a matter of 143 days, 600,000 people died. 600,000 people died. And the very, the very thing that Jesus is prophesying about the city and the temple is the very place that he goes. How brave does that make Jesus? We're going to see how much more brave he is as we continue on. Verse 45, Then he entered the temple area and he began driving out those who... We're selling. Stop right there for a moment. It's, it, this text is actually a little bit softer than, than the Gospel of Matthew and the, and the Gospel of Mark. Those two uh, Gospels, they also have this portrayal. But it says that when Jesus went in there, that, that he, he just became so indignant on what was going on and had such righteous anger, he literally flipped over the tables of the money changers and he flipped over their benches. So in this text, it seems a little softer. He began driving those, driving them out, those who were selling. It's like just driving these people out because there was corruption in the temple. I'll tell you what that is in a minute. But we look in the other Gospels, and Jesus goes in there with such a righteous anger, a righteous anger, and he goes in and he says, there's corruption in the temple. In the sacred temple, there's such corruption. And he literally, because he's so brave, and Jesus, I have to tell you, 
is portrayed in church world many times as a wimp. Jesus is not a wimp. He is Almighty God. If you want to know how, how powerful He is, go to the Old Testament. You're going to see the power and the wrath of God in the Old Testament. It's not a picture that people like to see. It, it really isn't. It becomes so much more unsettling, but you have to understand that God is He's a God of love, yes, but He's also a God who judges sin. Judges sin. Doesn't condone sin. He doesn't support sin. The very thing that Jesus is doing, there's sin in the temple. This holy and sacred place in the city of Jerusalem, there's sin in the temple. And Jesus goes in and says he drives those who were selling. There were some interesting things that were happening in the temple in this time. The temple had a certain coinage that, that they only allowed to use in the temple. They, people would come, this is a time of celebration. So in the time of celebration, people would come from all around to come into Judea and into, into Jerusalem. And they would be required to make sacrifices because of the law of Moses, because they were Jewish people. And they would come into the temple, and they had to make sacrifices. Well, people aren't going to travel with all the sacrificial animals that they would have to do for the sacrificial process. This talked about it in the Old Testament specifically. So what they would do is they would just go in with some money, they would have to, to exchange that money for temple currency to buy the animals of which they were going to be able to sacrifice. It was just, it was their way. Thankfully, we don't have to do that anymore because of Jesus. So the, the religious leaders thought, man, we're going to capitalize on this thing. Let me, let me see, okay. They have foreign currency that they're going to exchange to our currency. And now we can set the price of what all of these, the animals they're going to be sacrificed, we can set the price of those and we can basically price gouge. And not only that, we can also make some money off the currency exchange and we can devalue the money and then we can make the, the, basically the goods more expensive. Doesn't that sound like other parts of our culture right now? I was thinking about that yesterday. All of a sudden, Jesus, he comes in and he just ushers into the place. And I believe that with full authority, Jesus didn't come in. Jesus is not a wimp. He was a carpenter. He was a man's man. And he went in to turn over the corruption in the temple on that day. He went with, uh, with a man on a mission. As he went into the temple and he's flipping over the tables, I could just imagine this. Challenging the, the religious leaders and the status quo in the temple on that day. As he's flipping over the tables, there's money flying everywhere. People are probably jumping out of the way wondering what in the world's going on. But Jesus could do this because he is Almighty God. And they were not going to be able to stand up to his authority. Though, the, though they, they, they did not like him and they would seek to crucify him, they knew there was nothing they could do about him. Because when Jesus comes into, into an area, when he steps into your life, people notice. And they realize there's something more powerful in you than what was before Jesus was in you. And the same thing happens here. When he comes into this situation, into this temple, into this, into this sinful place, which is a real place, by the way. The temple is a real place. It was a real place. And yet Jesus comes in. And the point I want to get at today is, are you willing to let Jesus turn over the corruption in your lives? Are you willing, Christians, are you willing to let Jesus turn over the corruption in your lives, to expose it for what it really is? 
All, all the things that you do and the improper relationships that you have and, and the sinful desires that you have and the sinful, just the relationships that, that are just consume you. Jesus wants to be first place in your life. He wants all of you. The only way that we can really understand this text is, is to, and, and to apply it is for us to allow Jesus to come in in 1 Corinthians 6, that, that our bodies, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Look at this verse. It says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who's in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. As this continues, it literally tells us, he says, You were bought at a price, and the price that Jesus paid for you was his own life. Therefore, honor God with your body. That you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We have to have a willingness, Christians, to allow Jesus to invade all of the places of our life. All the places of our hearts, all the, the seat of our desires, into our minds, into our relationships, and that it would just it would go through every part of our lives. Are you willing to let Jesus do that? He bravely went into the temple on this day, driving out those who were selling. He says, it is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now he's speaking specifically to some religious leaders. There are three groups of religious leaders in, in this that, were, that would be around the area. Well, just three different types of leaders, two of which religious, one not. Three political powers in this time were the zealots. They were basically very militant. They weren't spiritual at all. They just wanted to overthrow Rome. Then there was the Pharisees. And they, they didn't really like Rome, but they just kind of participated with Rome as much as they could because they wanted to gain power. They, they, they thought, you know what, we're going to weather the whole Roman storm and that they would have power. But they did so, they, they, they wanted this power, but then they also inflicted certain rules and regulations upon other believers. So they were absolutely fine with the corruption that was in the temple because they were lining their pockets every time that somebody would come in and exchange currency and buy, uh, buy the animals for sacrifice, they would put some money in their pocket and everything else would be taken care of. But then there was the Sadducees. They were the ones who were, they were close to the Romans. They liked the Romans. They were, they were spiritual people, spiritual leaders, they liked Rome. And they thought, you know what? The closer that we can get with Rome, the very corrupt government structure, the closer that we can get with Rome, the more that we're going to have a political base over the Pharisees and uh, really the rest of the people. Three different approaches, but Jesus challenges them, and he says, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. This is a prophetic thing uh, from Isaiah 56.7 and then Jeremiah 7.11. And it says, Every day he was teaching at the temple. Every day, the same temple that Jesus went into and that he would flip the, that he flipped the tables over and the money changers and he made them all, he shook up the whole place. This is the very place that he went in to redeem and to reform. And I, you know, if you're a little 
skeptical about uh, about the Jesus thing, the Bible thing, uh, you know, there's really a lot of questions that you have that I can't answer, um, that you really have to accept by faith. But I, I can tell you this. This is a real place. This is a place of uh, of historical significance, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. And this is a place you can still go to today. As a matter of fact, um, I've had the opportunity to go. The, the temple has been torn down, but the western wall of that temple is still there. The picture is what you see on the screen. This is the western wall, also known as the Wailing Wall. Every day... Every day, this is the picture on this wall. This is a place of significance for Jewish folks, the Muslim folks, and Christians. And this place, they, they come to this wall, and it, it's a very surreal place. But as you, as you come into this place, you literally can hear people just weeping at what has happened and just grieving over the city of Jerusalem of all those three different religious groups. But you can hear them audibly weeping, that it means so much to them. I, I've had the opportunity to go there twice, and on one of those trips, I was in the Navy both times, but one of those trips, I, uh, I went uh, on a tour. I went into Haifa, Israel, for $15. Amazing. At $15, I had a bus ride. and got to go to Bethlehem, Jerusalem, just check out a bunch of things, a place called the Elvis Inn. It was amazing, too. Yeah, like Elvis, as in, yeah, you know, like Vegas, that Elvis. Um, he wasn't there. I looked for him, but 15 bucks. It was amazing. So we, we, we had the opportunity to go in and before we went up to this wall, there's like a big courtyard that leads you actually up to this wall. But before we, we got to that place, they were, we're all standing like in this alleyway and, and our tour guide said, Hey, um, here's, the best thing you can do is just go in and just maintain a mode of silence once you get in here because um, there, there's things that kind of pop up in this area. Just literally, we were there, and there's, there's always civil unrest. There's always there's shooting. There's, there's fighting. You never hear about it on the news, but it happens all the time. And as a matter of fact, the two different times that I got to go there, it looked complete, this looked the same, but, but getting there looked completely different because certain roads would be shut off because of, of, of the forces fighting each other. But they told us the best thing you can do is not make it look like you're Americans. Okay? This becomes very problematic for a guy like me because this is the very jacket that I had on as I went in to the Wailing Wall. All right? There's two things this jacket says. Two things. The first one is this I'm a winner, right? That's what it says. Yeah. And the second thing it says is I'm a red blooded American. So uh, as I, and, and coincidentally, now I know what Ric Flair feels like everywhere he goes. Um, but I had that same jacket on, and it was amazing. I went in there, and, and it was just very surreal. And it was one of those things you didn't want to, you didn't even want to talk. Because you knew there was something significant about that place. But you know what? To be honest with you, that's a wall. And that's a building. But you, Christian, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, that wall, it could fall tomorrow. Yeah, it has a little bit of significance. But that pales in comparison to the life that God calls you to live. Because if you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, 
That means that he has put something in you that is special, that he's given you meaning, and he's given you his love, and he's given you his purpose. And his response, or rather your response back to him, should be allowing him to come in and cleanse you of all of right, unrighteousness. Continuing on, verse 47. It says, But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. They were trying to kill Jesus at this point. Remember, this is within the week of his crucifixion. Same week. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. All the people hung on his words. The, they did, not everyone understood Jesus, but people who, who were hanging on his words, they respected his message. They respected his message. A scripture, just uh, this will not be on your screen, but I want to share this with you. Just speaks into the promises that we have as uh, as just our bodies being temples of the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians seven one says this. Therefore, since we have these promises, this is the promise of eternal life, the promise of His love, the promise of His mercy, the promise of of the grace, the promise that you don't stand condemned before Him, but that you stand just as the song that we sung, that you stand cleansed before Him. The promises of God. He says, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So let us do this. If you would please go to the right in your Bible, to the book of Titus, chapter 3. Because there's a danger when it comes to a situation like this, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting this tension in you, and you're like, yeah, I want this, but how do I do this? You're telling me that I should do it, but I feel powerless to do it. And I just want you to know, you are absolutely powerless in your own right to make the changes that God wants to make. But the very best thing that He could do is give you Himself, which is what He's done. Titus 3 Verse 4 and 5 says, But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we have done. So the saving work of Jesus is not because you're a good person, because you're not good enough. The saving work of Jesus is not because, hey, I did this thing a long time ago and I made this decision and now I've been living the rest of my life for, for myself. If we're to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, that means that we're supposed to follow fully in the footsteps of Jesus. It's not because you're a good person. It's not because there's a certain amount of money that you've given to a church and an organization. It's not because you're a servant. It's not because you come into a place like this and you love the worship and you sing the songs and you even walk away encouraged. The reason that Jesus saved us is not, that saves Christians, is not because of what you have done. He doesn't save you on the basis of your personal righteousness because there is no righteousness outside of the righteousness of Jesus. It says He saved us not because of the righteous things that we have done, because of His Mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. Stop right there for a minute. This is the saving work of Jesus. I told you earlier, you don't have the power to, to cleanse your life of all unrighteousness. You don't. 
You don't have the power yourself. You don't. If you're a Christian, you have the power available to you because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's a big deal. That means you're a big deal. You want to be a big deal, don't you? That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. This idea of the washing of rebirth. This means at the moment of salvation, that when you accepted Jesus by faith and knowing and in accepting what He has done on the cross and the fact that He resurrected from the dead, that you have been, that rebirth is the, being, the idea of being born again. That means spiritually you're born again. That means you, you have died to yourself and now you're living to Christ. That means I used to do everything my way, but now I'm submitting to the Lordship of Christ, and now I'm living it His way. That I'm following Jesus. That I put down my own way, and I'm following after Jesus. That's what he's talking about here. This idea of being reborn, this rebirth. That He saved us through the washing of rebirth. Washing sounds a lot like cleansing, does it not? And the renewal by the Holy Spirit. I, I had a conversation earlier this week with an individual, and this it's just amazing how God just gives opportunity. Once you actually consume Scripture, that He gives you opportunity to share that Scripture. And, and I've wrestled with this Scripture for several weeks now, and the difference between rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Many of us, if we're Christians, maybe you've even had this time where you've walked the aisle, you prayed the prayer, you've done the deal, you were at a Billy Graham crusade as a, as a teenager or whatever the case may be, and you walked forward, you accepted Jesus. If you truly accepted Jesus, then you have been reborn. That's the rebirth. But one thing that maybe you don't know about is this idea of being renewed by the Holy Spirit. You see, the renewal by the Holy Spirit means that you're not just going to be changed in an instant. That means that the work of God is going to happen in you and the journey from the time of salvation to the time of uh, when you leave earth and you step into eternity is the time where you're being renewed. And there's certain parts of that renewal that you should be able to see in your life. Here's what we need to do. We need to allow the Lord, to renew some things. We need, to, we need to cleanse some relationships. We need to cleanse some relationships. We need to, to let the Lord into every one of our relationships to say, okay, if, God, if I'm letting you in, what relationships am I a part of that are unhealthy for me, spiritually? Maybe even physically. Maybe emotionally. There's another scripture 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 says, Bad company corrupts good behavior or good character. Bad company. Bad company corrupts good character. See, if we allow the Lord that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, temples of the Holy Spirit, that we have a, God's dwelling place is within us as Christians. We should allow the Lord to be Lord of all things about our life. First of all on this list is our relationships. Think about your relationships. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's a, as a student, your attention please, your, your relationships. You're still trying to figure all this stuff out about relationships. I have to tell you, you probably have some relationships that are unhealthy for you. 
If you're a Christian, have you allowed the Lord into all those relationships? Are you codependent on a boyfriend or girlfriend that you just have to let hang around? I believe there's, there's power in the Word of God in this verse right here. Maybe you should write this down. Maybe this is what you take away. That bad company corrupts good character. As good as you want to be Christians, you can be corrupted by the people that you allow to speak into your life. You can be. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I quote him a lot because he's smarter than me, and that's a good thing to do. He said this, To pursue union at the, expense of, at the expense of truth is treason to the Lord Jesus. Think about that. Let that, let that rest in your heart for just a moment. To pursue union at the expense of truth is treason to the Lord Jesus. So, the union with other people, the relationships that you have. And I say one of, the, one of the biggest challenges that we have culturally is codependency. That we become codependent on the person and, and it's led to cohabitation. And now all of a sudden we have relationships that we think we can't do without. And all the while God is saying, why are you allowing them to do this to you? He says, why are you allowing them, why are you living this codependent lifestyle when I want to be the center place of, the centerpiece of all your relationships? Why don't you allow the Lord to turn over all that corruption in your life? Maybe there's a person right now that you're thinking of, you're saying, you know what? I've, I've kind of made either, either a partnership or a friendship with somebody who's very much ungodly. And, now, and I feel them. I feel them. That's a lack of a better term. They're feel, I feel them drawing me down. Maybe some of you are having an improper conversation outside of your marriage. And you're just talking right now. You're just talking. And yet you find some satisfaction talking to this person outside of your marriage. And yet... And, and in, some, in some way, it feels right. Because Satan is trying to convince you that it feels right. Because Satan seeks to divide your marriage. S Satan seeks to, to divide and to devour your family. You have to allow the Lord, because Christian, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, allow Him to step in and cleanse all of your relationships. Who are you honoring? Are you honoring people first? Or are you honoring Christ first? He wants to be, remember we talked about this last week, He is and shall be the cornerstone, the centerpiece of which everything else meets, but it has to be Jesus. has to be Jesus. Another thing that we need to cleanse is our lifestyles. Our lifestyles. Several years ago, it was, I was trying to think back to the years uh, earlier today, and my mind's been, I just haven't been able to focus on that stuff. But I'll just say several years ago, I, uh, I'd grown myself to be physically, I'd started to feel physically down, and it was one of those deals, maybe you've been there, maybe you haven't, but, you know, I started at like a 32 waist, and all of a sudden I got to 30 three waist, and I thought, man, this is kind of weird. These jeans are getting small, you know? So then I went to 34 waist, and all of a sudden, you know, the, it just it started to escalate and get out of control, and then my health started to decline. And this happens, right? Am I the only one this has ever happened to? And I, I stopped, and, and I, 
I believe it was an act of God into my life. He says, you know what? You need to, you need to challenge your lifestyle. But the very core of a lifestyle change has to be a heart change. I knew that what I was doing was wrong. I knew that I was just kind of, my life was starting to spiral out of control because my body, it was a matter of my mind, my heart, and my soul. And I could feed, I could feed my soul, I could feed my soul, and I could feed my mind with Scripture. But yet my body was just kind of like, I was doing whatever I wanted to do. I was trying to, I was trying to overcompensate with coffee, and I was trying to overcompensate with other things. I knew that I needed a lifestyle change. So what I started to do, and reluctantly on many, many, many mornings when we were in Florida, um, I would go out, and I, I, I knew that the Lord wanted me to change, and He gave me a verse um, a verse you're probably familiar with, um, Philippians 4:13. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I, I would go out, and I knew that I needed to shed some pounds. At first, I didn't want to uh, change my diet um, because you know food's really good tasting to me. So I, I kind of challenged that. But I thought, you know what? I'll go run off some pounds. And I had I had become grossly overweight, and I was 20 pounds overweight. But for a guy my size, I look more like Jabba the Hutt than the guy you see today. So uh, that's true. That's, you can laugh at that. All right? That's okay. And I was getting overweight, so I knew that I needed a lifestyle change. But I knew that there was not going to be a lifestyle change without a heart change. I knew that what I was doing, my life, my whole life was starting to spiral. And I was starting to, to really to, to get out of control because Christ, at that time, I was, I was working for God, but I wasn't allowing God to work in and through me. That's a dangerous place to be. I needed a lifestyle change. I needed a heart change. So I took that verse, and I would, I, would, I would just use this verse over and over and over, and I would just meditate on this verse, and I would run a block, and then I'd walk a block, and then I would rest for five minutes, and then I'd run two blocks, and then I, you know, and then I would just kind of keep that whole journey until one day that I was able to run for four miles without stop, and it was incredible. And I thought to myself, man, I don't even like running. Like, where is this coming from? And the very verse that I was drawing strength from, I realized that's what God was using to keep my focus on Him, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe even right now you're thinking, maybe there's a part of your lifestyle that, that is improper. Maybe, maybe for you men or women, maybe you're, you're looking at things on the internet that you're not, and your whole lifestyle is consumed by the very videos and the very things that, that are just at your fingertips on the computer. I want you to know, if you're a Christian, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you can, you can defile that temple by allowing those things to creep into your life. You have to allow Him to cleanse every part of your lifestyle that is not of Him. Every part of your lifestyle that is not of Him. See, to me it wasn't about losing weight. In, in January, this is proven over and over and over again. People go through, and gym membership, like, it just escalates and just skyrockets in January. Everybody goes to the gym, and then by March or April, nobody goes to the gym anymore. It's, I mean, it's a fact. I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying it's a fact. Because you can't have a lifestyle change without a heart change. You can't. You can't. They, they intend to do well. I intended to do well. But for me, in this situation, the reason why that, that my lifestyle and my health was gaining back under control is not because I went out and because I was doing all of this work. It's because spiritually I was reconnected with God and because I believed step by step 
jog by jog, mile by mile, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the same power is available to you. And just the same thing that, that, that Paul wrote to Titus right here about being renewed by the Holy Spirit. Renewal, cleansing, cleansing of relationships, cleansing of your lifestyle, cleansing of our minds. Ephesians 4.23 says this, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. So this is before Christ. You were taught, hey, before Christ, this is the type of stuff that you did. But then he continues at the end, or at the latter part of this verse, he says, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. So for us, there, there are tangible things that we can do. We allow Jesus to come in and cleanse our, our relationships cleanse our lifestyles, cleanse our minds, that we cannot live like we used to live. We cannot talk like we used to talk. We have to allow Jesus to come in and cleanse us by the power of His Holy Spirit. We need to allow Him to cleanse our hearts. Psalm 103 says this. Psalm 103 Verse 2 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. So, the very place that we have to begin is with Christ. We begin with Christ and we say, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And forget not all His benefits. And look at all the things that He does, starting in verse 3. This is the Lord who forgives all our sins. If you're a Christian, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. This is a matter of cleansing your heart. Your heart. Your sins are forgiven. You walk around today as Christians forgiven. And He heals all your diseases. He heals in, in this life. And then we, we know that there's, there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no disease once we get into eternity in heaven. Verse 4 says, that Who redeems your life from the pit? Who redeems your life from the pit? Christ redeems your life from the pit. Now the pit is when you were living your former way of life that Ephesians 4.23 talked about, when you're living for yourself. As Christians, we, we have to consider that the pit. We have to consider that the pit and saying, you know what, I was, I, was, I was not living a life that's worthy of the calling of Christ. I did not know Christ. I was doing my own thing. And yet when we become... Christians, when we accept salvation for our sins and what Jesus has done for us, He redeems our life from the pit. He redeems. He buys you back. He takes you from a life that has no meaning and no purpose and He brings you into meaning and purpose. And He crowns you with love and compassion. Receive this in verse 5. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
with corrupt lifestyles, corrupt relationships, when we allow our hearts to be, to be cluttered with junk and our minds to be cluttered with junk, we are not allowing Christ to give us what this, this text promises us in Psalm 103. I just want to repeat this last part again. Verse 5. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Who satisfies your desires with good things. See, when, when you accept Jesus Christ as, as your personal Lord and Savior, He takes all of those other desires those, those worldly desires and those earthly desires, and he replaces them with purpose and with meaning and with good things. He wants good for you. The, the very reason why I think people are challenged by, by Jesus coming into the temple and just to turning over the tables is because they're afraid to allow him to turn over the corruption in their own lives. So we avoid that part of the Bible and we say, no, 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 no. Bring me the love, bring me the mercy, bring me the grace, bring me the compassion. I need it, I need it, I need it. But oh, no, 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 no. The, when he turns over the corruption in our lives and he exposes it for what it is, I'll be honest with you, it hurts. But that's the very renewal that is going to bring you fulfillment in this life. <laughs> 